Amen. You may be seated. And let it be so. Let the world be filled with his glory. What a privilege it is for me to be with you today. I'm glad to hear that Richard is doing well on the mend. I've always heard it's hard to keep a, 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 a good Scott down. That's what they say, at least. Uh, Brian told me that Richard Deering, he's this rehab pick uh, season has to walk. That's part of the regiment. And uh, was he was walking, Brian was walking with Richard and he was re- walking so fast. Richard was walking so fast that Brian's having a hard time keeping up with him. So uh, that's a good sign. Glad to hear, Richard, that you are on the recovery. You all have a wonderful staff. It's been great to be with uh, Brian and with Claire and Charlie and Stan and the others. Uh, what a what a gift you have here in this place. And uh, Brian and I have sort of been following each other, parallel lives of sorts, as I'm an associate down in Florence, South Carolina. But Brian and I go way back. Uh, we brushed up against each other in seminary 30 years ago at Union Theological Seminary. So just so you know, Brian's old, just so you know. He's really, really old. Um, now, all these years later, and we both landed here in the Presbytery of South Carolina, uh, we've been comparing notes, uh, all things related to discipleship. We listen to the same voices. We read the same authors. Uh, we experiment with a lot of the same ideas. I've, I've led a missional community in my context, and I know Brian has brought that idea into this place. And so that makes me curious this morning, morning, if you would, is there anyone in the room that is involved in a missional community? Raise your hand. I see a few. That's good. That's wonderful. That's great. The, I love that concept. Now, I, I think that there are uh, three things that are elements of necessary for a church. One is robust worship of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Secondly, a strong love toward one another and fellowship that is deep and rich. And then thirdly, there is passion for the lost with energy spent in seeking to save the lost. And that's a description of a missional community. Uh, and I love what you all are doing here. I'm encouraged by it. I'm even challenged by it. Uh, and I will continue to watch you all as you all grow in discipleship, loving him, loving others, and loving the world. Now, by way of introduction, uh, to share just a little bit about who I am, what I am doing, it's a lot about that mission aspect. I've asked them to show a video about helping Florence flourish. How many churches are there in Florence? The answer? There are many churches of all shapes and sizes, and many of these churches belong to different denominations, various networks, initiatives, church planting efforts, and compassion ministries. And each one is having its own conversation at its own table about joining God in his mission. But despite years of working in silos, something is happening as God stirs in the hearts of his people. People from different tables in Florence are increasingly coming to one table together. This is how Helping Florence Flourish desires to serve his church, knowing that God is already at work bringing renewal to Florence. As Helping Florence Flourish, we're made up of churches, networks, denominations, providing a way for the church to come together as one for the city. 
We come together around God's mission, knowing that we are better together than apart. Yet we keep our unique identities and styles of ministries. We need all the expressions of the church working together in order to see our city flourish. So we provide practical ways for church and kingdom leaders to connect, giving them opportunities to pray, build relationships, and collaborate together on mission. We also create resources and convene leaders to ensure the body of Christ is equipped to meet the physical, societal, spiritual needs of our city. So back to our question. How many churches exist in Florence? The answer, there's one. One God sending one church on one mission for one city. We are helping Florence flourish working toward a visible demonstration of the unity of the body of Christ to bless Florence, uniting the church for the city. Okay, Greenville, let me ask you a question. How many churches are there in Greenville? There's only one. Uh, A lot of times people go, oh, one, two, three, four, just one. I stepped away from First Presbyterian not too long ago to lead Helping Florence Flourish, and Helping Florence Flourish seeks a visible demonstration of the unity of the body of Christ to bless Florence. And we do that in many ways. Uh, We've just recently finished a season of service we call Serve Flow, where we encourage believers to move into the community, to be a blessing, and to represent our Lord in that place. And we've seen over 400 volunteers move out from dozens of congregations uh, to go on mission in various ways throughout the city. And it's been a joy to watch. One uh, congregation in particular was reinvigorated as they tasted the joy of serving the Lord and representing him in our community. And so that brings us to our passage this morning in Isaiah 61. Uh, it really is about mission. Uh, I'm reading a book by Eric Swanson called To Transform the City. Uh, and I picked up many of uh, the ideas about this passage out of that book, and so I referenced that uh, for my good friend's influence in my life. Uh, and so we will be picking up on the first verse where Isaiah himself was speaking of the call of God on his life. We'll just look at the first four verses. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, before going any further, remember, I want you to note that this, these words are Jesus's words. He found these on that morning in Nazareth at the synagogue found in Luke 4, and he is using this passage to underscore his mission. Now, remember, he's got the whole scroll open in front of him, but he stopped after that first verse and a half. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His life was to proclaim that God's stance at this time, opposed to a future time, is favorable. 
In other words, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus' mission was to tell that it was the time. It was the year of the Lord's favor. It still is the year of the Lord's favor. The kingdom of the Lord is close. And so, friends, don't let that pass. He is calling you and he's calling me to repent, to to leave behind the world and all that it seems to offer, glitter and glows, and to follow him. Notice that the Lord's favor, the nearness of God's kingdom is present for a whole year. Whereas we continue, Isaiah speaks also of the judgment that is coming. Notice what Isaiah says his mission was to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Judgment is coming, but it will pass quickly. It's just a day. And then in verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the word given. We ask that you would help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and be changed by your word, allowing it to... Make us into the men and women of God that you have called us to be. We thank you for that as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this week as I was preparing, I was thinking about Greenville and I went out on the web and I wanted to find out the percentage of people in Greenville that claim to be Christian. Now remember it's the web, so you've got to give us a little bit of, of an allowance um, the web said on one page, 58% of Greenville is, as one way, shape, or form, associated with Christianity. Another one said 62% were associated with Christianity. Now, I'll share that with you because of what I'm about to share here. Ben Eklu wrote as he served uh, crew, Campus Crusade in Ghana, in Africa, And I quote him, if Christians are 60 to 70 percent of the population of Ghana, then we must own 60 to 70 percent of our country's problems. If just the Christians did things differently, like not dumping their trash in the streets, the city would change drastically just like that. And speaking in the voice of a a non-Christian, Ben Eckler goes on to say, I want to see and taste and smell Christianity. I want to see Christianity walking around. He goes on, the people of West Africa long, and I'm going to add, the people of Greenville long 
the people of Florence long to experience a robust Christianity. What would happen if the people of Greenville and the people of Florence would taste and smell a robust Christianity? To taste and smell a robust Christianity is possible as the Lord anoints us. Isaiah said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me. Yes, this passage prophetically points to the servant mentioned throughout Isaiah. The servant was the name Isaiah used as he pointed to the coming Messiah. But you are baptized into Christ. You are set apart when you by faith trust him. You are in him. Therefore, you are anointed. Now, I would like to ask if you would, would you please stand with me? Will you stand? And I want you to repeat after me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me. Now I want you to say that last part again and I want you to tap yourself. Because He has anointed me. Okay? You may be seated. He has. Our passage begins with someone who's been set apart for the Lord. The word anoint means to, to rub or sprinkle, apply an ungent ointment or oily liquid. And a priest was anointed. He was set apart for special service to the Lord. In Exodus 28, you can read about that. But now as we are in the New Testament era and we read in First Peter 2, we are a kingdom of priests, all set apart. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's workmanship. That word in the Greek is poema, which is a work of art. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are saved. You are set apart by grace, not by works. But you are set apart for good works. Before the creation of the world, the God of the universe dreamed you up and set you apart and anointed you for His Service, Friends, what a joy it is to realize that you have been called into that kind of service. When that begins to happen, when the anointed one steps into a life set apart for God, things change. Transformation begins to happen in the world around the anointed one. The critical mass to impact a community with one person yielded. To the Spirit. Just one person is needed. As you yield yourself to Him, you are anointed for Him. Small testimony. 
The Lord paid for me. He ransomed me. And so my life is his. And I'm joyfully his bond slave. And I want to offer all of myself to him. Do I struggle to do that daily? Yes. But that's the core desire. As you remember your call to Jesus, you realize he's sending you. He's deploying you to speak into this broken world and and meet a need that you see of that brokenness in the world. So that brings me to a question. What is the anointed one to do in order to transform their world? Transformation comes first through proclamation. As verse 1 and 2 say, the anointed one, the set apart one, proclaims good news to the poor. Proclaims freedom to the captives. Proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. I believe that speaking of the Lord is a true sign of being anointed. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to save. So he speaks. So that makes me wonder and ask you, and believe me, this is not to be critical, but make you think and to let you ponder. When was the last time in a conversation that the name of Jesus rolled off your tongue? Where you were able to testify to him. You know, it's not always been easy for me. I get paid to say his name, by the way. But it's been something that has grown and developed in my life. The longer you walk with the Lord, the less inhibitions there are to proclaim the good news. After 40 years of walking with the Lord, there's a greater degree of certainty of the unseen realities of the kingdom that are just behind the veil. And so you speak of them more quickly. Pray for the Lord to increase your faith that you may testify to his goodness and grace, telling others that it's still the year of the Lord's favor. But that's not all. Transformation comes through demonstration. There was also a demonstration of good deeds in the call of the one who is anointed. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to open the prison to those who are bound. He was moved by compassion for the hurting and those on the margins. While he proclaims a message, he is at the same time binding up the broken. And setting captives free. When Jesus is asked if he is the Messiah, he says, look, the sick are healed, the lame walk, the blind see, the hungry are fed. So we have to understand that there is a balance that needs to be struck. A transformation happens as the anointed one both speaks the good news and then proves the good news. Or does good deeds. There's always both. To illustrate that a different way. Which wing is most important? 
The good news, words about the king and his kingdom are necessary because there are many who do many good things for other reasons. So the words that testify to God's salvation are needed. But good news proclaimed alone will not transform. Good deeds are the evidence that the kingdom is coming. And so you need both for the plane to fly. So think about the balance in your own life. Are you giving testimony to the reality of your Savior and Lord? Do you speak of him to others? Especially to those outside the kingdom. Sit with that question. But then also, are you proving that his kingdom is coming by doing good to others? Especially those outside the kingdom. As a disciple, you grow in both. Now, parents, I want you to take notice here. And I'm quoting the number one sticky factor for a child to embrace the faith of their parents is serving alongside their parents. Diana Garland, Dean of Baylor School of Social Work, said, quote, as child and parent serve others, they grip a deeper understanding of one another and of God. Parents find their faith more resilient and more meaningful Their children develop what we call sticky faith that keeps them stuck to the church and to God when their peers are abandoning God in droves. So what happens as the anointed one does the work of proclamation and demonstration? There is a great exchange as the gospel is proclaimed and demonstrated. There is a crown of beauty. Instead of ashes, there's the oil of gladness. Instead of mourning, there's a garment of praise instead of despair. The, the anointed one has made an impact on others and they begin to grow. And until in verse three, it says they are called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Oh, to be an oak of righteousness. I took this uh, picture this week at Florence on the campus of First Presbyterian. There are many of these, these trees. How old do you think that tree is? It's not as old as you think. That's, campus was opened in the 50s, so about 70 years old. Look how strong, magnificent, sturdy, and beautiful It is when people are genuinely transformed, they will be oaks of righteousness. Their lives will glorify God. God's marvelous work is best seen in changed lives. So you see, the anointed one, the set apart by God one, Proclaimed and demonstrated the good news to others so that their lives have changed. And so now 
that next generation called oaks of righteousness shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of generations, of many generations. Now, when I look at my hometown, when I look at Florence, I see brokenness. I see lives that are in ruins. This week I spoke to a a young woman, Denisha is her name, and she works at Motel 6 for pennies. And she, she is searching for a place to rent because she's currently living in the hotel. My heart breaks for her. Can we do something to help I don't know what it is. I'm praying for what it is right now. Is there a way? Will a door open? But it is the year of the Lord's favor. We rebuilt a home for a woman, Mary, whose house, as we took a tour of it, was rat infested and there was uh, rot everywhere and the house was falling down. Mary knows why. We did what we did because we spoke of the Lord to her and she saw us love her as we built that house. We literally built up the ancient ruins. That house was built in 1926. It was good for nothing. Friends, I long for the kingdom of God to come. I pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I seek to be an answer to that prayer. He's anointed me. He's anointed you. As you come to the Lord Jesus, as you surrender to him, as you are anointed, your life is repurposed. You proclaim the good news of the year of the Lord's favor. And then you prove the good news as you seek to give good deeds. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray together. Father God, we are blessed to be able to have the ability to hear of your work of grace and mercy. You are at work to make us into men and women of God, oaks of righteousness that are able to testify to your goodness. Help us, Lord, to to see the unseen realities of the kingdoms and that they would be so clear that we have a, a fire in the belly to bring the good news to bear on this world, this broken world. Fill us up, Lord God. Give us passion for that work. Change us. Thank you for that work, Lord God, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.